Welcome to Episode 4 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. In Episode 4, I resume our discussion of Chapter 1 at Verse 13, which is St. John's vision of the one like the Son of Man, and carry it through verse 20, the final verse of chapter 1, including a discussion of the I Am sayings that are unique to Revelation and to St. John's Gospel. I end with a review of the common literary characteristics of the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor that are found in chapters 2 and 3. If you have not already viewed episode 2, which includes a primer on numerology in Revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding this series of programs on the book of Revelation. We begin episode 4 where we left off at the end of episode 3. The first of three readings for this episode is chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. In the introductory episode, I spoke of how John used powerful imagery likely to be familiar to his intended primary audience of Jews who had not yet converted to Christianity. These verses from chapter 1 include some of the best examples of this skill. I will focus first on five examples, the robes, the hair, head, eyes, the feet, the voice, and the seven stars. The features ro figure's robes, which flow to his feet with a golden band across his chest, echo the manner of dress of Hebrew priests based upon Exodus 28, verses 4 through 6 and verse 8, and the royal symbol in 1 Maccabees 10, verse 89, which refers to the buckle of God, suitable for such as are of a king's blood. The figure's white head and hair are similar to Daniel's vision of the Ancient of Days from Daniel 7, 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Our illustration is a drawing by William Blake, which was the frontispiece for his work, Europe of Prophecy, published in 1794. The same image was adapted in raised relief steel over the door to the new General Electric building in New York City in the 1920s. The figure's eyes were like a flame of fire, as in Daniel's vision of the glorious man in Daniel 10, verse 6. The flame-like eyes probably suggest the presence of God, as in the burning bush, perhaps signifying divine knowledge, 
or possibly the same image as in Psalm 104, verse 4, He maketh his angels winds and his ministers a flaming fire. The figure's feet were like fine brass, again suggesting Daniel's vision of the glorious man in 10, Daniel 10.6. The voice is said to have the sound of many waters in verse 14b, which may suggest another Hebrew image describing the presence of the energies of God. For more on the concept of the energies of the unseen and unseeable God, See the entry of the same name in the AIC publication, The Layman's Lexicon, available on our website, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net. The figure had in his right hand seven stars, which, as the figure later explains in verse 20, represent the angels of the seven churches of Asia Minor. This is the third and fourth use of the magical number seven that I discussed in episode two. One of the most controversial, some say troubling, images in Revelation is found in verse 16, and which appears again in Revelation 2, verse 12, concerning the church at Pergamos out of his mouth when a two-edged sword. For Western minds, long accustomed to the long, light brown hair, and loving smile of so much of Western artistic depictions of Jesus, this image is confusing, even troubling. John presents us here with two pair of images at the same time. The first pair, Jesus as a man, Jesus as God. The second pair, the merciful God, the judgmental God. The two-edged sword is a metaphor for judgment, quite fitting in the sense that the coming of judgment is the major theme of the book of Revelation. The two-edged sword will spare the righteous and punish the unrighteous. The same words are used again in Revelation 2.12, 13a, and 16, when Jesus says, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Another interpretation is that the two-edged sword refers to the gospel, which saves the righteous and condemns the unrighteous. We see more evidence of Jesus as God in the last half of verse 16, In the statement, his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. This image clearly recalls the transfiguration on Mount Tabor described in the Gospels of Saints Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in John, in which Jesus took three of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, to a high mountain. The term high mountain in both the Old and the New Testament is often a reference to a holy place where some form of revelation occurs, as in on Mount Sinai, and in the vision of Isaiah concerning the place of the temple of God in Isaiah 2, and Mount Tabor itself, or the holy mountain in the description of the scene in 2 Peter 1, verse 18. It is also a preview of another similar image in John's own gospel 
which was written a year or so after Revelation, in which in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In the Nicene Creed, Jesus is called light of light. The third and final reading for this episode is verses 17 to 20. The illustration for this section is a 19th century engraving in the realistic style by the French artist and noted Bible illustrator Gustave Doré. When I saw him, I fell in his, at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. In verse 17, John tells us he fell as dead at the figure's feet, completing the parallel with the transfiguration account in Matthew 17, 1 and 2, in which Peter, James, and John saw Jesus' face shining like the sun and his clothing as white as the light. And John wrote that the figure placed his right hand on John's shoulder. This is a symbol of the divine, with the right hand being the honored position described in the Nicene Creed in which the ascended Jesus sits at the Father's right hand. Jesus assures John that he should not be afraid. Jesus' assurance that John should not be afraid repeats a familiar theme in Scripture of both the Old Testament, especially Daniel and Ezekiel's accounts of visions of God, and in the New Testament where it occurs in the Gospel account of the Annunciation by the Archangel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary in Luke 1, 13 and 30. John himself was present on two other occasions when Jesus, or the voice from heaven, reassured the apostles, the first at the Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 7, and the second in the fishing boat when Jesus appeared walking on water, described in Mark six fifty, and in John's own gospel in John 6, verse 20, which I discussed in episode 9 in the New Testament course, which is now also running on our YouTube channel. In verses 17b and 18, the figure reveals both the reality of his divine existence and his purpose in visiting St. John. This is the second time in Revelation, the first being chapter 1, verse 8, in which the Greek phrase E-G-O-E-M-I, which can be pronounced either ego-eme or ego-emi, depending upon whether one uses the old Greek form or the modern Greek form. Here in St. John's own Gospel are the only uses of this phrase in the New Testament. In St. John's Gospel, it, John includes several examples of Jesus' use of the phrase ego emi. 
translated I am, an allusion to the great I am declaration to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 3.14, which you should know was also written as ego ime in the Septuagint Old Testament, meaning the existing one, or I am the one who exists. Early church bishops, including Ambrose of Milan in the late 4th century and John Chrysostom in the late 4th and early 5th century, attach great importance to Jesus' choice of words. Their use ran counter to the popular idea called docetism, that Jesus only appeared to be a man and only appeared to die on the cross. Now, here in Revelation, he uses, I think quite deliberately, ego ime three times. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus further declares that I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus explains the process of judgment involving Hades and death in the end of chapter 20 in Revelation in verses 11 through 15. One of the greatest icons of the Eastern Church is called the Harrowing of Hades, which I have used as the illustration for this slide in a a Russian Orthodox icon. In my former parish, I always displayed the harrowing of Hades icon on the pulpit throughout Easter season. If you'll look carefully in the picture, you will notice that in the icon, Jesus is depicted with one foot on each of the gates of Hades. With his right hand, he lifts Adam, and with his left, Eve from the pit while John the Baptist and the others look on. At his feet are keys and a bound, unrisen corpse. Finally, in verse 19, Jesus speaks of the purpose of his visit to St. John in what is truly a revelation and a prophecy, saying, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Almost as an afterthought in verse 20 of chapter 1, we hear the figure explain the mystery of the seven golden stars and lampstands. The golden stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the churches themselves. These angels could be the guardian angels of these churches or the leaders of the churches. Next time in episode 5, I'm going to begin discussion of the text of chapters 2 and 3, which are the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. So that we can go directly to the actual letters next time, I'm going to close episode Uh, this episode with a preview of the common characteristics of these letters or epistles and the five parts that are found in each of the letters. Each of the letters begins with an address to the angels of each of the respective churches. 
And once again, the traditional interpretation is, is that these angels are the guardian angels of each of the churches. The term angel comes from the Greek angelos, which means messenger. And as I noted a moment ago, another possible interpretation is that these angels are the leaders of each of the churches. Part two of each letter is an introduction in which Jesus says, I know your works, a statement which is an affirmation of the divine power of the God who knows what is in the hearts and thoughts of man. Part three of each letter is a summary of the state of affairs in each church. Some of these include praise, some of these include rebukes, and some include sharp rebukes. Part four of each letter is an exhortation in the form of a set of instructions on what each of the churches must do. Part 5 is a closing message, which is quite similar to a phrase Jesus spoke in the Gospel of St. Matthew three different times in 11.15, 13.9, and 13.43. He who has ears, let him hear. And is also said in the Gospels of St. Luke and St. Mark. Thank you for joining me. Next time in episode 5, I will discuss the content of the letters in chapter 2, which includes the letters to the churches at Ephesus, where John had served as the equivalent of a bishop, Pergamos, and Thyatira. Again, thank you for joining me for episode 4 in Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. You can help us keep this kind of programming available on the internet in several ways. You can make a contribution by sending a check payable to St. Chrysostom Church or Anglican Internet Church to our business office address 7162 Soft Wind Lane, Mechanicsville, Virginia 23111. Or you can purchase books from our bookstore at our Podbean site, which you see the address on the screen, www.stjohnc.podbean.com. You can further indicate your support by clicking the like and follow buttons on the Podbean site, which is also the host for our extensive collection of MP3 podcasts. You can also like and follow us on our Facebook page. The full Facebook address is on the screen, but you can also use the direct link to Facebook, which I have posted on the homepage at our site, www. AnglicanInternetChurch.net. Once you've reached the Facebook page, you can bookmark it for easy return. Both contributors and book purchasers can request to become distance members. Distance members receive our weekly update, which usually goes out on Friday and contains the latest news plus links to the latest videos, podcasts, and publications. Send your request to be added to, as a distance member, to me at Father Ron, that's F-R-R-O-N, dot St. John, S-T-J-O-H-N, Anglican, at earthlink.net. That's F-R-R-O-N, dot S-T-J-O-H-N, Anglican, at earthlink.net. If you'd like to speak with me personally on 
this program or any other topic, please call on my cell phone, 804-306-1190. The best times are 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. If you do not reach me in person, please leave a message and a callback number and a best time to call. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.